0: After years of planning, the final events commemorating 100 years since the Anzac landings on the Gallipoli Peninsula were held late Saturday night. 10,000 New Zealanders and Australians travelled to Turkey to experience the day and services, which only finished in the early hours of the morning. Insight followed the day's events and assesses the impact they had on those attending.
1: In the dark, thousands gathered at Anzac Cove to mark the landings 100 years ago. In his address, the Prime Minister, John Key, said the very name was evocative.
2: Gallipoli to us Kiwis means not only the sea, this beach, these cliffs and the narrows across the hills. It means the names and stories of more than 2,700 New Zealanders who died here. And the parents the wives and families who grieved for them, and the family and friends who said goodbye and didn't know it would be forever. To us, Gallipoli is also a byword for the best characteristics of Australians and New Zealanders, especially when they work side by side in the face of adversity. Gallipoli symbolizes, too, the pity of war, because while this was a, pace, a place of courage and heroism and duty, it was also a place of fear and waste and loss.
1: A representative of the Turkish army delivered the historic and moving letter sent by the founding leader of the Turkish Republic, Mustafa Kemal Ataturk, to the mothers of the fallen Anzac soldiers.
3: Değerli <inaudible> konuklar those heroes that shed their blood and lost their lives. You are now lying in the soil of a frantic country. Therefore, rest in peace. There is no difference between the Jonis and the Magnes to us. There they lie side by side here in this country of ours. You, the mothers, who sent their sons from faraway countries, wipe away your tears. Your sons are now lying in our bosom and are in peace. After having lost their lives on this land, they have become our sons as well.
1: Australia's Prime Minister Tony Abbott spoke to those gathered in Anzac Cove as the dawn broke and said that people aim to be better because of the sacrifice made there.
4: Yes, they are us, and when we strive enough for the right things, we can be more like them. So much has changed in 100 years, but not the things that really matter. Duty, selflessness, moral courage, always, these remain the mark of a decent human being they did their duty, now let us do ours. They gave us an example, now let us be worthy of it. They were as good as they could be in their time, now let us be as good as we can be in ours.
1: Radio New Zealand's Susie Ferguson was at the service as part of the news team, and shortly after it ended, I asked
5: her how the crowd had responded. Many of them were huddled up, of course very cold here, you could actually see your breath in the air, it was so cold. And lots of people were huddled up, you saw lots and lots of people in the crowd with their arms around each other, as if they're supporting, comforting each other, clearly, as you say, a really big moment in their lives. Some people, really, their eyes were almost fixed to the floor, they... It was almost as if they couldn't watch some of what was going on, but other people uh, looking and never actually even taking their eyes off what was going on.
1: Was there a sense of emotion? Could you feel that amongst those
5: attending? The time that I could really feel that there was quite a strong sense in the air of anticipation of emotion in the crowd was really the last half hour, the last 20 minutes in the run-up to the start of the dawn service. There had been lots of lights on in the area here, even while people were, in some cases, trying to sleep overnight. But once everybody was in, the lights were turned off in the main, so really it was almost completely dark around the whole area. You could just pick out people here and there, but by and large it was completely dark. And at the same time you could hear the sound of the sea which I think was music actually being piped in or amplified, certainly, from the coast. But you could hear the sound of the waves crashing. There was also some music every so often as well. And also quite a clever lighting effect, which made the water just by the edge of the coast look sort of ghostly, slightly misty, and it was quite eerie. And that is exactly what it was like when the Anzacs, when the Australian and New Zealand troops, were first coming to Anzac Cove uh, exactly a century ago at that stage and that particular sense of huge anticipation you could feel it in the air there was something heavy there was it was almost a kind of crackling and bristling as people just waited and let those seconds tick down until the dawn and when the dawn service actually started that was exactly the moment when the first crack of light began and you realized that it was the beginning of a new day and that to me was heavy with emotion and really a, a very very special part of this particular service.
1: You've been around the area for a few days and have visited some of these significant sites. Are there any moments where what happened there became really real for you?
5: The time for me when it felt very real was uh, just after I'd been or part of the time that I was doing a battlefield tour with Ian McGibbon, the war historian, uh, a real actual world expert on Gallipoli from the Ministry of Culture and Heritage in New Zealand. And we'd been in a trench up at the Neck. It had been quite a strange experience, I have to say. I had found it in some ways quite claustrophobic, in other ways quite uncomfortable. My initial reaction had been that I wanted to get out of the trench. And we were actually leaving the trench. Um, We climbed out. We were walking along on our way back up towards uh, the next cemetery. And Ian has had his eyes trained on the ground of Gallipoli for about five years. He knows what to look for. He sees things. Every time you go out with Ian McGibbon, he will find something connected with the battle. I went out with him the day before. He found a bullet. This time, he found a bone. And he immediately stopped. He used. Uh, he actually had an umbrella with him, and he very gently sort of eased it out of the ground. And when that bone came out of the ground, to me, that's where it suddenly hit me. It was quite difficult in a lot of ways. It was already quite a, a hard situation to be trying to report on having just come out of the trench. When we saw this bone, it was clearly a limb. It was an arm or a leg, and I found that very difficult because while Ian has said all along, you know, this whole area is designated as a graveyard, this is a cemetery, there are bones everywhere, you will find them everywhere in Gallipoli, to actually be faced with that was quite confronting, and suddenly you realised these are people, these are young men, these are people's children, these are people's brothers, It had been a long
1: night for those at the service, and the event involved a huge amount of organisation. But those in the audience were enthusiastic about the start of the day.
0: Well worth being here. Fantastic to uh, make the journey all the way to Turkey and Gallipoli to be here for this day.
1: Very memorable. We both have uh, strong military backgrounds in our families, so we were here reflecting on both what happened in 1915, as well as all the um, uh, everything that's happened since, and uh, New Zealand's involvement in, in conflicts and wars around the world, and serving our country. So it's a chance to sort of reflect on both the past and and the present. So it's very important to us.
2: Yeah, it's been fantastic, incredibly poignant, very moving, and for 10,000 people in and out of here, unbelievably. Well organised, very very slick.
1: It's hard to explain um, the, the whole feeling. I mean, we've been awake for the entire process, the, the entire
6: part, haven't we, honey? And it's just it's, yeah, it's just unbelievable.
1: Later in the day, special events were held at cemeteries for the various forces. The service to pay respects to the Turkish soldiers who died in the conflict in Gallipoli was held at the memorial to the 57th Infantry Regiment. The regiment was the first Turkish unit to go into action following the landings at Anzac Cove and famously received orders from Staff Lieutenant Colonel Mustafa Kemal, who was later awarded the honorific Ataturk, father of the Turks. The site is a largely symbolic cemetery containing the names of many servicemen randomly selected to be inscribed on headstones. There's also a large statue of a Turkish soldier and one of the last Turkish Gallipoli survivors and his granddaughter. Kim Griggs visited the memorial of the Turkish regiment as a rehearsal was underway for the main Anzac Day service.
6: There's a steady stream of uh, Turkish people coming up to the memorial of the 57th Infantry Memorial, and I'm just walking in underneath the gate, which has a billowing Turkish flag flowing out from the gate. And there's a lot of school children here, as you can probably hear. In front of me are the graves of the 57th Infantry Regiment. They're little white headstones, and every headstone is adorned with the Turkish flags. And I'm just going to walk up now towards the main memorial, which is sort of reminiscent of the, one of the minarets that you would see in Istanbul. The memorial is a cream-coloured, it's three-tiered, and it is very reminiscent of a minaret, but it's, it's quite impressive. On the left is a picture of Ataturk, and also one of him on the right. This memorial is to the men of the 57th Infantry Regiment, and they were the men that Mustafa Kemal issued an order saying, ''I am not ordering you to attack.'' I order you to die. When you're standing in front of one of these headstones, of course, all the dates, the dates of their death are 1915. This one is to Suleiman Abdullah, 1883, 1915. The next one along is to Hassan Okulsati, 1876 to 1915. And so it goes on.
1: While marking the sacrifice made by their own soldiers, the local people on the peninsula have welcomed thousands of visitors from the opposing forces. In a cafe in the village of Begali, three grandsons of Turkish Gallipoli veterans have gathered, and for Samal Akgan, there's no sense of any animosity.
3: yanlış yaptığını söylüyoruz bak şimdi. Yani o kadar kendi sömürge olarak One
7: hundred year past, so we are not enemies, no more enemies we are welcoming them they should come to see this land to visit their grandfathers actually during the war they were uh, colonies of the other countries and because of that they they come here they are not guilty This, this is not their fault being involved in the war but they were colony of the, the other countries, and because of that, they come.
1: Mehmet Kaderi said if they didn't welcome those coming to mark the occasion, Turkish people may not be welcome when they visited graves of Turks who had fallen in battles overseas.
7: We are welcoming because they respect, they show their respect to their ancestors, and because of that, they visit also. We have... Ancestors and soldiers in different countries in Egypt, uh, Saudi Arabia and Syria on Balkans, mm-hmm. so also if you find the opportunity, we go to visit the, our uh, ancestors and we to show our respect so it's normal that they, they, uh, we are welcoming it. it's not strange if we say them to know, the other countries will say it, us to know. <laughs>
1: and Mehmet Tosan believes something positive
7: grew out of the conflict. Uh, grandfather <inaudible> told that we built friendship with them, with Anzacs, that time. And he thinks uh, that friendship was the base of the friendship of today's friendship because. Now, actually, I am a great target, and the Anzacs, uh, grand descendants of Anzacs, are coming here, but not British, but uh, New Zealanders, Australians coming to, here to visit, and we are friends with them. Maybe the basement of that friendship built during the World War I, thinks like that.
1: For many of those attending in Gallipoli, It was an opportunity to lay special mementos in the cemeteries and mark the contribution made by members of their own families during the First World War or other conflicts. Some brought tributes on behalf of others, such as Warrant Officer Danny Broughton, who brought a metal poppy made by Marianne O'Donnell to remember her son, Lieutenant Tim O'Donnell, who was killed in Afghanistan in 2010.
8: So, his mum, when she found out that I was coming here, asked me if she if I would bring one of her poppies over and i said yeah i 'd love to um, so the um, stem is quite long and it 's and it's long it 's you know, over a meter long, and it 's like that so that it sways in the wind when you stick it into the ground um, and then the petals are actually made of um, aluminium, but the significance of the black bit in the middle is that there are ten stems." that um, form a circle, and each one of those stems represents um, one of the soldiers that was killed in Afghanistan. So I guess that's the
0: significance of this particular poppy.
1: Kim Griggs was also part of the Radio New Zealand news team in Gallipoli, and she visited many war cemeteries in the area.
6: In every cemetery you go to, there's obviously the headstones, there's beautiful flowers in many of the cemeteries, there'll be flags in the Turkish cemeteries. But what I noticed in the New Zealand cemetery that we went to at Bear was a poppy stuck in the wall. There were very many personal mementos left. There were knitted poppies that had been tucked into crevices. There was a white cross that someone had carefully made and stuck in one of the few headstones that there are at Bear. Obviously, people have got family connections.
1: Did you talk to those that were making an effort on behalf of others who couldn't be there? We know this was a ballot. Not everybody who might have wanted to get to this service has been able to actually attend. Was there a sense that there were lots of people delivering little mementos on behalf of others?
6: Well, certainly there was a lot of um, friendliness and collegiality. Earlier in the evening, just as an aside, people were having to make space for each other. People were coming out and saying, do you need somewhere to sit? We've got somewhere to sit. So there was certainly a sense of friendship here. I've been sort of following preparations for Gallipoli for a long time, and I know of one man who was offering to bring things over for people who had his own sort of Facebook page and was really doing that for a lot of people. I actually got asked to do something similar for a friend of mine whose great-grandfather had arrived, landed in Gallipoli on Anzac Day, and he was actually injured on that very first day. So her daughter made a a beautiful poppy that I carried over from New Zealand. And I didn't expect to be quite so moved by actually um, placing it down at Chalwick Bear, but I certainly was when I did that for my friend. So I'm sure my own experience was replicated many times over by the people that were here, the New Zealanders and the Australians
1: many of those visitors then attended a service for the fallen australians further inland at the lone pine cemetery early on during the event the minister for veterans affairs senator michael ronaldson inviting serving members of any defence force and veterans to stand evoking this response from the crowd special reading was delivered by Prince Harry.
0: In this quiet place,
2: it is difficult to imagine the carnage, the desperation of the fighting that took place here. But it was in this spot that many acts of valour were witnessed, and despite the number of Victoria Crosses awarded for the fighting here, most of these acts went unrecognised. Great valour was a common virtue.
1: Special services have also been held in France and Belgium, where later in the First World War a 700-kilometre line of trenches snaked from the Swiss border to the North Sea. The 30-month Western Front campaign remains New Zealand's most costly. A war memorial in the Belgian town of Ypres is dedicated to the British and Commonwealth soldiers who were killed and whose graves are unknown. And every night in the Menin Gate Memorial, the last post is played. The Defence Minister, Jerry Brownlee, attended an Anzac Day ceremony there as New Zealand's official representative. He said the last post at the memorial was extremely moving.
0: They've been commemorating uh, the efforts of the New Zealand Australian soldiers in this part of the world at Menin Gate since 1928, every night. In the middle part of uh, 2015, they'll have celebrated their 30,000th occasion where they've um, sounded the last post commemorating those efforts. And I think what it shows is the depth to which people in this part of the world, uh, where they've suffered so much during both World War One and World War II, uh, appreciate the uh, efforts that are made on behalf of their, their freedom. There were a large number of New Zealanders and Australians yesterday with uh, Australian Foreign Minister Julie Bishop, and a lot of them were telling us afterwards about their connections generations back. In, in my case, I had a, a two great uncles who were in the First World War uh, one of them was killed not too far from here at Uh, uh And, uh, you know, I suppose it just makes all that uh, a little more real. It's 100 years ago, but you, you still imagine today what it would be like for New Zealand to farewell 100,000 of our young people going off to fight a foreign war somewhere.
1: Lieutenant Colonel Darren Beck is in charge of the New Zealand Defence Force contingent to Belgium he said that although the focus is on Gallipoli it doesn't take away the significance from the battles later in the so-called Great War
9: one thing that um we've certainly um come to terms with here is, is the scale of the devastation on the western front you know the the land exec- Gallipoli in their own you know in their own way were were tragic uh, what happened on the western front was equally as tragic it's very difficult to sort of single out anyone one action.
1: Because of the significance of those Gallipoli landings this year, did it change anything about the services?
9: I think um, obviously we're looking to the 100 years of the Gallipoli landings. Uh, a lot of the um, actions on the Western Front that occurred at the Somme and Passchendaele in 1916, 17 and 18 will be obviously take a higher precedence in the coming years. But I think one thing we've noticed around Belgium and France and our travels is that the, there is a heightened sense of sacrifice with regards to the, the, the centenary and the activities that are going to happen. There's actually been a lot more public interest over here.
1: And for you personally, had you attended ceremonies like this before?
9: No, this is my first time at ceremonies in Europe. I've never been to Gallipoli either. This particular battlefront has a personal significance for me with my um, great uncle who died at the Gryphonsuffel Spur on the 4th of October 1917. <laughs>
1: You're obviously there with a military contingent. There's support from the local population. Are there Australians, New Zealanders that have attended the sort of services you've been at?
9: There are official military representation from all of the Commonwealth countries represented here. Some, other, some of the other countries suffered uh, similar levels of casualties to New Zealand in terms of scale. The Canadians at Vimy Ridge, uh, the Australians at um, where we've just been at, at Polygon Wood, you know, the 5th Division there, suffered huge casualties. So, yeah, we are commemorating with our um, partners. There's also, when we've been conducting some rehearsals, there's been busloads, literally busloads of tourists, and that those busloads of tourists have represented just about every country that fought and served on the Western Front, including uh, Germans. So, in that regard, it's been very interesting to see uh, almost almost a pilgrimage of people coming to this place.
1: Commemorations in Britain started with a dawn service at a memorial at London's Hyde Park Corner. Our reporter Natalie Powell told me thousands attended.
10: Well, the turnout for Anzac Day events taking place in London has been very impressive. Thousands queued from the early hours to attend a service at dawn in the capital. And while there are a great number of expats living in London, there are also many others who travelled long distances to be part of it. The UK paid tribute to those who have given their lives in service. And the sheer volume of people here shows that Anzac values still live on in the young New Zealanders and Australians. But it was also a celebration of the global ties between Britain, New Zealand and Australia.
2: The lasting legacy of the Anzacs of 1915 is an inspiration for the succeeding generations of the Australian and New Zealand Defence Forces and all those who go into danger to serve the community in our police and emergency services.
10: Master of Ceremonies Adam Hills opened Anzac Day commemorations in London with the message at the core of all Anzac services. Anzac Day is about remembering those who gave their today for our tomorrow. Thousands attended a dawn ceremony held at Wellington Arch in London, including Princess Anne, Princess Royal, expats, Brits and others with military backgrounds or histories. Some had even travelled thousands of miles to be part of the remembrance services in London. There were hymns and
6: prayers. We remember with humility their sacrifice and ask God to help us keep their memory alive before we, all people left. And,
10: and readings history, from memoirs of Anzac's really Anzac servicemen.
0: Spring clothed the hills with flowers. The dead lying among them seemed to be asleep.
10: The New Zealand High Commissioner to London said that no family has been left untouched by the tragedy and gave his own emotional account.
8: My own grandmother's first fiancé, the first real love of her life, lies buried at Lone Pine, a kiwi
2: alongside his Australian mates.
10: Later, he reflected on how special the entire service, which ended with a Waiata, had been. been I
8: mean, very special. I mean, uh, I think anyone who's been here this morning will never forget this. You know, and it just makes you think of those young people all those years ago who gave so much for us. And I think there are so many Kiwis and Aussies here in London that they, every year turn out their thousands here. Right? And so it'll never stop.
10: A second service was held underneath grey skies and rain, a wreath laid at the Cenotaph in London's Whitehall. Two minutes' silence was observed and a parade led by military personnel involving descendants of those who fought in the Gallipoli campaign. Sir David Moxon, the Archbishop of Canterbury's representative to the Holy See, said the importance of Anzac Day was evident.
0: It's always very emotional, very poignant for New Zealanders and Australians, but I think momentum's building. The more we distance ourselves from the actual date, the more important it becomes to us. It's a celebration of our Commonwealth links with Britain, Australia and New Zealand, and in many kind of ways. It's not just the battle and the loss, it's also our shared destiny, our shared collaboration in the world.
10: The symbol of that shared collaboration could be seen in London. Thousands came together in solidarity to remember the shocking loss of life on both sides and the sacrifices made.
1: The day ended in Gallipoli itself with a service at Chunuk Bear, the site of an important stand by New Zealand troops and the Wellington Battalion led by Lieutenant Colonel William Malone. The military historian Christopher Pugsley described the battle on one of the peninsula's high points as he toured the trenches with John Key.
8: This is where the epic battle of Chunuk Bear took place. And if we look at the skyline behind it, if you can imagine the first time you'll see someone attacking over that skyline, and Malone standing just the other side of that fire break, rifle and bayonet, the bayonet bent, leading his men up to clear the crest. As they push them back, they then come back down here and occupy these trenches again. As these trenches filled with dead and wounded, so they moved back and dug the next one using the bodies as a barrier.
1: At the service itself, John Key gave the commemorative address under the memorial at Chanak Bear, and the New Zealand ambassador to Turkey, Jonathan Kerr, spoke of a sacred place of peace and remembrance.
8: I wish to acknowledge especially my fellow New Zealanders who have made less a journey than a pilgrimage of more than 16,000 kilometres to be here, and who have slept outside on this land under little more than a blanket of stars You are walking in the footsteps of your forebears, of your countrymen. You are rediscovering their journey, saluting their courage, remembering their sacrifice, honoring their memory, and participating in their legacy.
1: Radio New Zealand's veteran affairs reporter Andrew McCrae was part of the team reporting on events and he said the service was a fitting end to the occasion.
8: For New Zealanders anyway, we were building up for, for Chanuk Bear. Uh, people stayed overnight and were ready for the dawn, dawn service at uh, the uh, ANZAC commemorative site and then uh, people started walking up to uh, to Chanuk Bear and it was a good... Uh, six kilometres up uh, quite a steep road for a lot of people, so they put a lot of effort, effort into it, so they really wanted to be there. And you could tell that uh, they were ready for for that service. It was a particularly uh, New Zealand service, and much more than, say, even the dawn service was. So I think that was basically what every New Zealander here really wanted to attend, Beer, and to, to experience that service right at the top. And you could see how strategic that location was and just how how much effort went into trying to take that, uh, that summit. And we, we heard that the New Zealanders did, but uh, not for long because uh, they were relieved by the British troops. And, of course, uh, the British troops lost them uh, when the Turks uh, had a counteroffensive. So very much a New Zealand afternoon, and uh, I think people are going to go away uh, pleased that they came over here and made that effort.
1: A very New Zealand service with Waiata obviously commemorating the efforts that were made by the, the New Zealand Expedition Force. How did the audience react to this very New Zealand service?
8: Even before the official part of the service started, there was were singing from the uh, Defence Force uh, uh, Maori group and uh, also from the youth ambassadors. And I think uh, you know, people were clapping along and clapping at the end as well, which you wouldn't expect at a, at a memorial service So there was a real New Zealand sort of friendly and formal atmosphere, that's what I found. But also at Charnock Bear, because it's such a small site, it was very sort of intimate. And uh, I think that the sort of relaxed nature of New Zealand and New Zealanders came through in that service. And the thing that I found very poignant was when uh, the the readings from a couple of the, the speakers, where they were reading from diaries and memoirs of people that were at Gallipoli and fought here and uh, had died, but they'd written a letter before they'd been killed to their their wives and children. So that was very, very moving and you could tell that a lot of people were moved by that. And, you know, there were a lot of tears uh, in the crowd.
1: At the start of the day, at the dawn service, John Key had spoken on behalf of all those attending.
2: Usually at these commemorations we conclude by saying lest we forget. But today, witnessed by all of you who have gathered here out of respect and remembrance i will not say lest we forget because after 100 years we can say on this day april the 25th 2015 we remember
1: I'm Philippa Tolley, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to get in touch, you can send an email to insight at radioNZ.co.nz or tweet us at rnz underscore insight.